Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. Do you think I am an automaton? A machine without feelings? And can bear to have my morsel of bread snatched from my lips and my drop of living water dashed from my cup? Do you think because I am poor, obscure, plain, and little, I am soulless and heartless? You think wrong. I have as much soul as you, and full as much heart. Is Jane poor, obscure, plain, and little as she describes herself? Welcome to the second of our podcasts on Jane Eyre, where we analyse the character of Jane herself. Yes, Jane herself is an intriguing character and quite an unusual heroine, particularly for the Victorian period. She does describe herself as poor, obscure, plain, and little, but rather than the faint, shrinking violets that were quite common in early Victorian fiction, very moral and more like Helen Burns. We get in Jane a fantastically independent, forthright, and often difficult character who refuses to be confined by anybody. She's always striving for equality, although structurally her battle changes. At first, it's with the Reed children. As the poor orphaned cousin, she's treated as less important. John's allowed to hit her without punishment, and Mrs. Reed treats her as an imposition. Then at Lowood, Jane is really fighting with social injustice. All the girls there are treated poorly, as Bronte drew inspiration from her early school experiences at Cowan Bridge, blaming the school for two of her sisters dying from tuberculosis. At Thornfield, her struggle is with Rochester. Despite his claims to see her as my equal and my likeness, he frequently objectifies her. For example, trying to buy her a silk wedding dress, definitely not her style at all. And he sees her as he wants to, rather than as she truly is. She is fighting for equality of regard and respect. By the end of the novel, Jane has accomplished independence. Her financial inheritance, discovered during her time at Moor House, is very important here, as it means she has choices and financial freedom. She doesn't have to marry anybody, which is a luxury many Victorian women didn't have. Important too is that Rochester has been reduced by the end of the novel. He's blinded and maimed by the fire, and has lost a considerable fortune in the destruction of Thornfield. He's on a more equal financial and social footing, and is physically dependent. Jane describes herself as bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, his vision, and his right hand, indicating that they have become not only equal but one in their marriage. The novel is a bildungsroman, a story about growing up. And we should remember that Jane is around ten when the story begins at Gateshead, and around nineteen when she marries Rochester. And for a lot of the novel, she's confronted with similar ideas to today's teenagers: learning to control her temper, relationships with others, trying to find her place in the world. At Gateshead, she's violent and unruly. Maybe she has some cause provoked by John and the disdain of the Reed family. But at the same time, she's behaving in an unacceptable way. From hitting John to arguing with Mrs. Reed, unacceptable for any child, but especially a girl. At Lowood, the influences of Helen and Miss Temple are important in getting Jane to respect and empathise with others. Particularly the conversation in Chapter Six, Jane thinks people should fight injustice, saying, "When we are struck at without a reason, we should strike back again very hard."
While we might agree to an extent, it's important to hear what Helen says: that Christians and good moral people don't strike back violently, but make their points in other ways. Helen prizes forgiveness above all else, telling Jane that life appears to me too short to be spent in nursing animosity or registering wrongs. By the end of the novel, Jane has learnt to regulate her temper and appear more measured, both more grown up and more acceptably feminine. Victorian novels often have an element of reward for good moral behaviour, and this makes the ending of Jane Eyre more equivocal in some ways. It's a classic romance, so it should end with a traditional happy marriage, as it seems to for Jane, with a husband who loves her and a son. Yet the marriage is also a reward for Jane, and her learning to grow into the Victorian woman she should be. Bronte uses a series of images and motifs to describe Jane, and demonstrate her changing character. She's frequently associated with birds, for example. At the opening of the novel, Jane's reading Berwick's Birds, which are described as fascinating to her in their isolation and darkness. She describes one in particular: "So was the black-horned thing seated aloof on a rock." Surveying a distant crowd surrounding a gallows, the language of death there, the gallows, juxtaposed with the blackness and the aloof nature of the bird, suggest Jane's total isolation at Gateshead and her inability to form relationships with them. Rochester often calls Jane a bird, dove, linnet, or skylark. When he first kisses her, he describes her struggling like a wild, frantic bird. As she thinks he is engaged to Blanche Ingram, he earlier describes her as a bird trapped in a cage. A vivid, restless, resolute captive is there. Were it but free, it would soar cloud high. One of Jane's paintings is also a bird, a huge cormorant holding a gold bracelet, perhaps symbolic of Jane herself. The dark, plain bird exerting power over the wealthy Blanche Ingram. Yet when Jane uses the language herself, it's one of the most famous quotations of the novel, Chapter Twenty-Three. I am no bird, and no net ensnares me. I am a free human being with an independent will, which I now exert to leave you. Jane's whole story can be interpreted as the path of a bird in some respects. The repeated cages that she escapes at Gateshead, Lowood, even Thornfield, and then her return. As birds return home in the summer months to the nest where she feels more at peace at Ferndean by Rochester's side, the bird motif also echoes Jane's physical appearance. The birds she's described as are often plain and small, wrens and linnets, but have lovely songs. Just as Jane is treasured more for her intellect than her beauty. Another motif Bronte uses is the supernatural, which we'll talk about more in a later podcast. But Jane's frequently described as otherworldly. Rochester calls her pixie, sprite, fairy, and witch, and the suggestion is always that she is somehow bewitching him into loving her. While this contributes to the gothic elements of the novel, which we'll discuss when we come to form and structure podcasts, it's also controversial because so much of the book is about Jane's Christian morality. However, she's described in ways that make her sound pagan and heathen rather than religious, which some critics at the time didn't like at all. Yet it also elevates her. She's not just the ordinary little girl she portrays herself as. If there's something supernatural about her, it's her relative power and independence, and that, for a Victorian female character, could have seemed quite supernatural indeed. Thank you for listening, and in the next podcast, we'll be talking about Rochester's character. 
We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.